I'm excited for today's show and before we jump in I've got something for you that I highly recommend. Today's episode is brought to you by Nubrew. Don't worry about the spelling. All you need to know is this. If you're not supplementing your body and in particular your brain on a daily basis, you are playing at a disadvantage. For more than 10 years, I have taken nootropic supplements specifically in pill form, swallowing back fistfuls of pills daily. Now, pills aren't fun to take. They also don't typically absorb very well, which means very expensive urine. Nubrew blends the very best nootropics in the best dosages in powder form in ready-to-go sachets. You mix it with water and drink it and it absorbs amazingly well and tastes incredible. I now swear by Nubru and take Nubru Advantage and Nubru Shield every day. Take back the advantage yourself for less than a dollar a day with the deal I've sorted for you. Head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash brain and use the code SMARTERDESTINY at checkout to get 15% off your first order. Now on with the show. The best way to provide the best content is to talk to the best people and ask them good questions. That's it. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast. This time we have my friend, Travis, Chapel on the show. Travis is a master of network building, relationships, sales, and of course, podcasting. His own podcast has done over 2 million downloads. Wow. And he's interviewed the likes of Grant Cardone, Shaq, many others who you will have heard of. And depending on which areas you are, you'll get excited by different ones. So I highly recommend you check out his podcast just to see all the amazing people that he has had on the show. And that is one of his superpowers. We're going to be delving into that today. More recently, and if you're watching on video, you will see a massive neon G behind Travis. That is because that is the logo of Guestio, his latest project where he's raised 1.5 million for this software, which is a marketplace that connects high-level expert guests with high-level platform hosts. It's a quality over quantity game and I can see some incredibly impressive people on there who you definitely need in your life somehow. So I recommend you check it out. But we're going to get into that. But before we do, we're going to welcome Travis to the stage. Travis, how's it going? What's up, bro? Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being on, man. All right. So where else in the world are you right now, Travis? I am over in Las Vegas and not just for the weekend. This is where I live, just to clarify. Yeah. How long have you been there for? Almost four, actually about exactly four years now. Like probably this week we moved here four years ago from Southern California. Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Yep. I'm not familiar with your weather. In the UK is wet and gray all the time, but we've learned to live with it. Yeah. Opposite here. Opposite <laughs> here. I mean, it actually does get pretty cold in the winter though. So people, people have this idea that when they come to Vegas, they'll come in like January or February to come visit and they'll, you know, bring a tank top and shorts. And it's like, guys, this is not like San Diego. It doesn't just stay 70 degrees all year here. Like it gets down into the thirties, um, Fahrenheit, um, <laughs> here, here in the wintertime, you know, thirties, some, sometimes even twenties. Um, we get, we get snow sometimes, you know, like it, get, it gets cold here. Nice. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Then. Um, all right. So the way we like to kick the things off on this show is we like to go back superhero style this is where you know clark kent lands on planet earth in the asteroid right it's where you began your budding journey really as an entrepreneur some sort of life event some kind of mix-up some kind of something happened at some point which out of it you became the beginnings of an entrepreneur the amazing entrepreneur that you are today if you've got a story in mind that you can take us back to Please do. It's going to be a really short episode if you haven't. Um, but please do take <laughs> us back to that point and tell us all about young Travis as he was finding his way. Sure. So, uh, man, young Travis thought he knew a lot about a lot of things uh, and then figured out pretty quickly into adulthood that I don't really know much of anything. So I, I grew up in a I can't ever bring myself to call it a cult. Some people call it a cult. I, I more refer to it as like a religious bubble. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea, I graduated kindergarten, 
uh, junior high, high school, and college on the same campus. So I went to the same school from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through uh, high school. And then on the same campus, there was a college that I also went to college there. And then that was also the campus where I went to church on Sundays. And so we had Sunday morning church, we had Sunday night church, we had Wednesday night church, and we had Saturday morning soul winning and soul winning rallies. So like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from the time that I was three or four years old until the time that I was 21, 22 years old, um, I was there. Uh, and, you know, the majority of my life was lived on that 40 acre campus. So the people in the city around, around there call it the compound because it's like literally almost a city within a city. And that was where, that was where I grew up. That's where my friends were, my relationships, my, you know, mentors, youth pastors were teachers, teachers were youth pastors. It was all kind of convoluted and mess and all the same thing. And so in that world, uh, the, the college was on that campus. It was a purely ministerial college. They have like 12 different majors that you can choose from. All of them are ministerial focused. So I graduated college with, Bible, with a, a degree in Bible and church ministries, double major in Bible and church ministries. And uh, my senior year basically started to realize I didn't really want to do that thing anymore. That was not something that I felt like I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And it kind of put me in this awkward position because in that world, it's, it's taboo if you grow up there and you go to college there and then you don't go into ministry. Like you're looked at, I, I remember people like coming to the pulpit and talking about how their friend in college had so much potential and now they're a used car salesman. And you know what I mean? It was just like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't enough just to go to church. It was like, you gotta be in ministry. That's the ultimate calling, you know? And so when I started feeling like I didn't want to be in ministry, um, it was kind of already too late for me to pick a different path at that point in, in terms of, in terms of going to college, right? Like I just, it was my senior year. I was graduating in a couple of months, you know, it was like, what am I going to do at this point? Graduate with a, it, it was by the way, an unaccredited degree. So I couldn't just take my degree and like go somewhere else and get a master's and something that I actually wanted to do. I would have had to start all over again, yeah. uh, from, from freshman year, um, and go to a four year university to get an accredited degree so that I could go get a master's degree. And it was like, I'm going to be in my mid twenties by the time I go do anything. Um, uh, if I go back to school. And so that kind of wasn't really an option for me at the time. Um, and so I, did the only thing I knew how to do, which was door-to-door -door sales. I did door-to-door -door in college uh, just to make some extra money and things like that. Got pretty good at it. And so after college, it was like, look, I'm either going to go like get a desk job somewhere working for some jerk who I don't want to work for, uh, who is going to tell me when I have to be at work and they're going to pay me a small, small, small amount of money. And I have to work my way up to like maybe in 13 years, I can have a six-figure salary and blah, blah, blah. And that just didn't sound attractive to me. Um, whereas door to door, I knew I could go 100% commission door to door and make six figures that year, and that's kind of the option that I that I chose. So I was 22, um, and I uh, decided to just go door to door. And at this point in my life, I was um, kind of again that the way that we grew up was very much like if you're 23 and you're not married, you're like an old person. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I was married at 21, and I bought a house as soon as we uh, graduated, and so. I had a mortgage to pay and I had a wife at home. Like I, I, there wasn't an option for me just to like go back, live with mom and dad, sleep on the couch for a while, take some odd jobs and discover myself. You know what I mean? Like I had real life bills to pay. I had uh, real life problems to solve. And so I had to make money and I had to make money quickly. So door to door became kind of like that saving grace for me. And uh, I just kind of went hard on the doors for a while and, uh, and pursued that path. And then basically after that first year, um, I, it was a, it was a pretty small operation. This, the company that I worked for, you know, it was, it was a dealer for some larger network in, in the alarm business. Um, I came from solar, went into alarms. And then that year was the first year that I made six figures knocking, knocking full-time on, on, on doors. I was working like 20 hour work weeks, you know, like we would work when people were home. So we, we would go out from, you know, 2 PM to 6 PM or 3 PM to 7 PM or whatever. And, uh, in, in, most of the time what happens is, you know, door-to-door -door companies have these, what they call summer programs and they work from May to September, but they work like 10, 12 hour days. I was never doing that. We were always working like four hour days, but year round. And so uh, at the end of that first year, I pulled six figures and something counterintuitive happened that I thought at the time was kind of weird. And looking back, it, it's even more weird, which was, I realized I didn't want to do it anymore which is weird. It's an odd point to be at. Like if you're 22, you're making six figures in 20 hour work weeks and like playing video games in your off time and like, you know, hanging out with your friends on the weekends. Like that's a pretty good gig. 
But for me, I, I knew looking at myself at, when I was 32, I was like, I, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing something different. And if I don't change that trajectory now, I'm going to end up there on accident um, if I don't change it on purpose. And so I basically stopped knocking doors because that's the interesting thing about 100% commission sales. You can't half-ass it. You know what I mean? You can't just show up and get a paycheck. Uh, so I just stopped and, uh, it was kind of a, it was a really kind of a low point at that, at that time in my life. Cause I was so confused on a number of different things. I was questioning, you know, my belief system that I grew up with. I, I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I felt like a 15 year old at that point. Like I was trying to decide what I was going to do. I was looking up FBI applications, looking at what it would take to be, to get on the fire department. I was looking at real estate licensing, mortgage agent licensing. Like I was looking at all these different types of career paths. Cause I just genuinely had no idea where, where I was going to go or how I was going to proceed forward. And so for the first time in my life, I really dove into personal development. I, I didn't just frankly, cause I didn't know what else to do. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know which, which way to go. So started consuming books, audiobooks, podcasts as much as I could. And, and uh, I never really liked reading that much growing up. And so podcasting kind of became a cool medium for me uh, to consume content on. And after a while of consuming, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. This would be cool for me to start my own podcast, come talk to some of these people that I'm hearing on some of these shows and ask the questions that I want to ask. And so that's how Build Your Network was born. And I um, uh, connected with a guy who you've had on your show, John Lee Dumas, became kind of a mentor uh, to me in that process, a guy that, you know, he's got over 100 million downloads on his podcast. He's made tens of millions of dollars in the space. And so he was somebody I wanted to learn from and got around him, learned a little bit, launched my own podcast, and then nothing happened. You know, like nobody listened to it. Nobody paid attention to it. Just some 24 year old kid with an idea. Like nobody listened to me. I didn't have an audience. I didn't know anybody famous. I didn't know anybody rich or successful. None of those things happened for me. And so it was a long grind before it started, you know, paying off, but eventually it did. And then uh, people, and then the show started doing really well. People started asking me how I created a podcast. So I started doing podcast coaching, podcast courses, communities, podcast production, um, everything around podcasting. And then through all of that, this common theme came up about like, Hey man, how did you interview that person? How did you get in front of that person? How did you book that guest? How did you do them? And uh, so that's when we decided to create Guestia. It was basically everything that I've done has been a direct result of people asking me about this thing that I've figured out. And then me realizing that the real answer, because I mean, the answer to getting good guests on your show, and you know this, Martin, is you have to work hard at getting good guests on your show. Like it's it's a job. Like you got to network, you got to find yourself at industry events, you got to go to the masterminds, you got to get introductions, you got to find a backdoor entrance somewhere, you got to send out a gift. Like there's so many other strategies to get these people on your show. And at the end of the day, it's just difficult. And and to be frank, if I was running a business like I am now, when I started my podcast, I would not have had enough time to do the reach out that I was doing at the time because at the time I was still knocking doors. Like I say that I stopped knocking doors, but like my bills still had to get paid. So after I realized I started, I wanted to start a podcast, I got back, I started my podcast, but I also got back on doors so that I could make enough money to support the podcast and like pay for coaching and go to masterminds, go to events and all this other stuff. And so I was knocking doors. And then in my off time, I was podcasting. And then in my podcasting, I wasn't producing my show. I wasn't editing it. All I was doing was guest reach out and it took so much time. So I figure, hey, if we can put together a marketplace that's kind of similar to Cameo, but it's for a bunch of awesome guests that you can interview for your show, great, we should do that. And so that's kind of how Guestio was born. And now over the course of time, it's almost become more of a, a marketplace for guests to go get booked on shows. Like how you and I are having a conversation right now. You've built an audience. You know, you're bringing me on to talk to this audience. Um, and this audience could potentially buy something from me. That's something that a lot of people want. Um, and so a lot of people want to get booked on big shows and, and, and good shows, uh, shows with great hosts. And so now we have both sides of the marketplace that are active um, and, and running at the same time, which is shows finding good guests and guests finding good shows. And, uh, and so, man, it's been a, been a crazy kind of a Hello, path uh, over the last <laughs> decade or so, but it's all, you know, <laughs> happens for a reason, I guess. I know that was a long answer, but you said not to be short, so... Hey, hey, I I enjoy um, the storytelling and and you know that is a hell of one hell of a story, right? You you've gone from like cult bubble to to out there selling to um, to creating a, a SaaS. I mean, you're you're in multiple multiple industries here. And one of the things we we're speaking about it off air when you when you mentioned that you went door to door, I was like, wow, like it's such a common occurrence um, amongst entrepreneurs that there's some form of selling in the background to the point where like, I think if I was creating a sort of apprenticeship for entrepreneurs, which is a little bit of a sort of weird sort of um, thing to think about then, cause it's like kind of contrasting there, but there would definitely be sales in there. And I, I always like to ask um, when you, when you 
were going door to door. So you said you were selling solo and you were selling um, alarm systems. What was your like foot in the door? Uh, what was your what was your technique for like getting to the the kitchen table, which I understand is where the business is done in that industry. Sure. So especially in alarms, um, basically we had we we had what we would call a door pitch, and, and the door pitch was basically you know, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning of this conversation, because if you don't grab attention quickly, um, then you're screwed. And so our door pitch would last 30 seconds to 60 seconds. And the entire goal of that door pitch was to get inside of the house. Something magical happens when people let you inside of their home. You, you go from being some stranger on their doorstep to being like a trusted advisor to help them with their security needs. And, um, and so that was our goal is like, how can we get into the house and show them things like, you know, point at, you know, that's where your motion sensor is going to go. That's where this is going to go. And we'd like walk around as like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm your security advisor. I'm just here to make sure the family stays safe and all this other stuff. And it's like, I'm not a salesperson. And so, uh, what, what I would do on, on the doors is most of the time I would make the ask from a kneeling down position. So, uh, we would, we would knock the door. A lot of times we were knocking in areas that have been hit recently by crime. Um, and so we would reference the crime that happened, you know, down the street. And then, um, I would, I would let them know that we were there to, you know, place some security equipment around their home so that they're not the next, you know, victim of a, of one of the break-ins. And so what I would do is I would bend down and point at their door jam and show them like we, so what we're going to do is we're going to protect this front door. Um, we're going to put a couple of different sensors here on, on the front door for you. One of them is going to go right here on the door jam, and the other one's going to go on the inside of the door. That way, whenever those two sensors separate, you know, there's going to be a signal sent to your alarm panel, and that panel is going to actually call the police for you, even if you're not even home. That way, you're protected no matter where you are. Um, and so when I, when I would show them like where the door sensors would go, I would kneel down and point to the bottom of their door. And then, and then I would look up at them and then be like, okay, so, um, so this is just the front door. We obviously want to protect the back door, some other places inside the house. Um, you have just two quick seconds. Let me just take my shoes off and I'll come and show you how the rest of it works. And, uh, and, and so I, I wouldn't say anything about the shoes actually. So uh, it's been so long since I've done this, but um, what I would say is something about, let me just take two quick seconds, show you where the rest of the equipment goes and how it works. And then I would ask them at the end of that, if they wanted me to take my shoes off. And that was, that was always the entrance point because it takes them away from like, do I want the, like, it was never like a, can I come inside of your home? Cause that's most of the time going to be a no. It was, um, I'm going to come inside your home now. Do you want me to take my shoes off? And so it immediately like, you know, puts their attention off of, do I want to let this guy in my house to, do I normally have people take their shoes off before they come into my home? You know, so however they answer that question, I'm coming inside the house and I'm doing it from a kneeled down uh, position so that they're not intimidated by some like big, cause I'm, you know, you can't tell in this video, but I'm, you know, not, not a small guy. I'm about six, one, like at the time I was like, I was really, I was pretty overweight. I was like 240 pounds, you know? So like this, you know, big intimidating guy at their front door, I would just, I would kneel down. So I was always looking up at them, showing them where the sensors go. And then do you want me to take my shoes off? And then if they answered yes, then great. I take my shoes off and I go inside. If they answered no, then I go inside. You know, it, they have to, they have to break the, uh, the focus on that question and literally say, no, you can't come in to prevent me from coming in at that point. And obviously that happened, you know, at which point you'd still want to, you know, rework it and then try to get back inside of the house. Um, I, I almost never pitched from, from the porch. It was very rare. There was one time where I signed a contract through a gate um, uh, because they wouldn't let me inside of the gate. Um, but, um, so I literally like had them sign, like put their arm through the gate to sign the contract after I pitched them and got it installed. But, uh, but yeah, most of the time it was, we, we got to get inside the house. How do we do that? And so it was always a, a matter of, of disarming and then, um, and then phrasing the question in a way that, you know, however you answer it, it's a yes. Yeah. Coming in. That's beautiful. And and I can see, I can see similarities between that, right? How can I get in your house to how can I get you on my show? Right. And, and, and so you've got a tremendously successful uh, podcast, which in the early days, like you said, I launched it and crickets, yep. uh, obviously, right. It's not just, just by having a podcast isn't enough. There are things you can do to, to successfully launch. And certainly I think there's a few podcast hosts out there, myself included, who go, ah, if I could do it again, there might be some things in my launch that I would do differently. Right. Uh, new and noteworthy and all that. But, um, you uh, in your early days said that uh, you you managed to get the attention somehow of Johnny Dumas who became a mentor um, to you with podcasting can you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure uh, and, and first of all yes there are similarities um, 
really between all forms of selling, you know, it's sales is nothing but psychology and you can apply that across multiple, uh, multiple sectors, which is, which is why it's so important to have some sort of a sales background, I think, and, and why so many entrepreneurs do. Uh, but anyway, so with, with John specifically, what happened was I knew at the time he was not doing coaching anymore. Cause I reached out and asked him for about coaching. And all he did was introduce me to a, a coach friend of his, uh, who ended up becoming my coach, by the way, a guy named Jeff Brown, really great guy. And Jeff became my coach, but I still wanted John's attention because at the end of the day, John was doing what I wanted to do. And so I wanted to get, get around John. Um, so basically what I did is I followed him online and I looked for opportunities for, to, to potentially add value or to, um, you know, get around him in some other sort of context. And so, uh, one point he had posted, it was during, he was launching one of his journals. I think it was the mastery journal he was launching. And so he was launching this big crowdfunding campaign. And one of the uh, prizes inside of the Kickstarter was uh, mastermind at my house in Puerto Rico. If you come in at this level, you get X amount of journals, you know, you get a signed one, you know, you get a shirt or whatever, and you get a three-day mastermind at my house in Puerto Rico. That's only limited to like five people total or whatever. And so I saw that and I was like, all right, I think this is it, you know, but the problem at the time was that I'd never really invested anything into myself besides like buying a book, you know what I mean? So it was 6,500 bucks for the weekend. You know, this wasn't a continuity program. They didn't, we didn't have weekly calls for a year. Like this was three days at somebody's house and it was $6,500. And at the time I, you know, I don't know, I maybe had like 20 grand in my bank account. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so it was, it was like, a, Whoa, this is, this is not a small amount of money. Um, but I do know that I'm fully committed to making this happen. And if that's true, then if I can shave any time off of the learning curve by getting around somebody who's figured it out on this level, that seems like it'd be worth it. And so I make it sound like it was an easy decision. It wasn't, I almost missed out on the opportunity because it took me like two weeks to make the decision. And uh, I think I was the last one or second to last one to finally pick it up. Um, but I picked it up and immediate buyer's remorse, immediate. Like as soon as I hit <laughs> checkout and I had $6,500 charged to my credit card, I was like, whew, you know, just like kind of take, took, took the breath out of me. But, um, uh, kind of reframed my mind immediately. It was just like, look, I can't go into this weekend hoping that I'm going to get something. Cause I was immediately switched into scarcity mode of like, I better get something from this. And then I tried to sit down and purposefully reframe my mind to be like, look, I'm not going there this weekend to get a nugget of knowledge that I can apply to my podcast. I'm going there this weekend so I can build a relationship with somebody that can potentially continuously, you know, provide value to, to my life for a long time you know, amount of time. And so that one reframe, I think really, really was helpful for me. So I, I went down there, went down there with four or five other people, I'm still friends with a lot of those people. In fact, the, the hundred million mastermind that I'm in with, um, snow that we're talking about. Um, one of the guys that was in that original group joined that group like three or four months ago. So now we're kind of reconnecting on that level. And we first connected at John's house in Puerto Rico. Um, uh, so I, I'm still friends, with a lot of the people from, uh, that, that group. And then, uh, and then when I got to connect with John, I had this big idea to like add value, right? I knew that like relationships are built on value. So I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring the heat. I'm gonna bring some value with me. So I, th I had done photography and some stuff like that in college, uh, just to, again, to make extra money, you know, did wedding photography and, um, uh, engagement stuff and everything. And so I brought my camera down with me and I bought a drone just to go down there. Um, cause I was like, they have a beautiful home in Puerto Rico. I'll get some Epic you know, shots of this mastermind they can use for promotional purposes in the future. It's going to be great. Get down to Puerto Rico, never flown a drone before. That's a, a tidbit of information that you're going to find useful pretty quickly. And so I first night, uh, I think I maybe flown it once when I like opened it at my house, you know, but uh, where we lived at the time, there was restricted airspace because there was a Northrop right there. So we weren't allowed to fly it, you know, so I landed it. Second time I ever find this thing, I'm in Puerto Rico, we're on a rooftop condo. So it's like a very small space, you know, size of a normal bedroom or something like that. And so I throw the drone up in the air, beautiful time. I was right at sunset, getting some beautiful footage of like the Puerto Rican sunset on the beach there. And then I come back, fly the drone in, the battery's starting to get low. And uh, I thought 
that the landing process was much more automated than it was. And so I was telling it to land, but I was realizing that I was like, oh, I'm not that like, I have to actually more manually land this thing than I thought I was. So I was about to miss the roof. So I like put it back up and then brought it down and I was going to miss the roof again, put it back up, brought it down. And I was like, it's, it's about to run out of battery. It's beeping at me. I'm just like, okay, here we go. I'm just going to land this thing. And then it, the, one of the propellers catches a plant in the corner of the rooftop patio and throws the drone into the wall. Two of the propellers snap in half and my entire thought about getting awesome drone footage was gone the first night that I was there without ever getting any footage at all. And to add salt to the wound, one of the people I was with, like told John that that happened, which was even more embarrassing. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh yeah, that's the, that's that guy that brought a drone and then crashed it night one. Um, uh, so anyway, so that went down in flames almost literally in front of my eyes and throughout the rest of the weekend, I was just looking for that way to add value. And so what ended up happening was John was going to be speaking at an event. He needed somebody, he, he had somebody that was volunteering to sell journals at a booth that he had set up at the event. So he asked me to come train the guy for 10 minutes. Like, Hey, can you come by give the guy some closing lines since you've been in door to door? And I did a bunch of home shows and trade shows and stuff like that. And so I was like, John, I'll just work the booth for you. So instead of just stopping by for 10 minutes, I volunteered three days of my time to hawk, you know, $40 journals at an event that I got paid $0 for. i traveled there on my own dime. I paid for my own hotel room and I worked for free for three days using a skill set that a lot of people would pay me thousands of dollars to use for the same amount of time. And I did it all for free. And that got me in with John a little bit more. He helped me build a real relationship. We were talking about journals. We had to hop on a couple of calls beforehand. They shipped all the journals to my house and I drove them all down to the event, save them money on shipping, save them money on hotel costs, all this stuff. And then because that went well, he invited me to come out to the next event that he was going to speak at, which ended up, he, he introduced me to the, you know, uh, event organizer there who I ended up joining that guy's mastermind, who got me in touch with this person, who now I'm in that person's mastermind and then got connected with that group. It was like a catalyst for so many different things that happened because all I did was reframe my mind to stop thinking about what can I get from this and start thinking about what can I give to this, even though I'm the one that's paying to be there because so many people have a misunderstanding of who brings the value in the relationship. And as soon as they pay for something, their expectation immediately shifts to go, you better deliver for me instead of just like, Hey, what can I do to show up big time and make the most out of the situation and make sure that I get the investment back. And so now you fast forward a few years, John Lee Dumas is an investor and partner and advisor in Guestio, in my software company. Um, he's invested, I don't think he minds me saying this, he's invested six figures into my company. So that's 6,500 bucks I paid for a weekend back in the day, three, four years ago, has paid off you know, tenfold, more than that, 20fold, just from this one check that he wrote, let alone all the other relationships, advice, mentorship, text message conversations, email threads that I've had with this guy who's been able to be like a really big mentor to me. Um, and so I, I it, it pains me to see people that treat other relationships so transactionally and stop, they, they think so short-term instead of thinking long-term. And it, 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 it hurts me on the inside, you know? It's, it's painful and you, and you get in a sort of, uh, quid pro quo but really obviously quid pro quo conversation or, or relationship and uh, yeah I, I mean I personally I normally find myself on the wrong side of those anyway in terms of um, I always try and give more than I get and, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy with other people because uh, I don't think of it that way but like owing me something which well, one thing, um, but, I, but I don't like the other way around like I feel I'm like fuck how can I you know exactly if totally yeah uh, so. yeah I'm the, I'm the same way and that came from um, a directly I think at the, I think it was before I even went out there, I read a book, I read Gary V's Ask Gary V back in the day. And uh, one of the things he said in that book, I don't remember really much else from it, but one of the things that he said from, from it was, I always try to be the person that gives a minimum of 51% of the value in every relationship that I have. Every relationship I have, I try to give at least 51% of the value. And obviously the majority of his relationships, he gives 100% of the value because most people consume his content for free and receive value from him all the time. And he doesn't even know who they are. You know what I mean? So he gives a hundred percent of value in most of his relationships, but in, a, in even in a lot of his personal relationships, his, his goal is at least 51% of the value. And I always took that with me. 
Amazing. All right. So I um, I want to I want to talk about Guestio, and but just before we do that, I think it might be good to to frame this because there might be people in the audience that are thinking of launching a podcast, and they might be thinking, yeah, well, you know, JLM he he released his podcast years ago, right? He was he was one tenth of the podcast or whatever when he released. Like, how can I do it now nowadays? But we were talking off air, um, Travis, and you said that you're you're launching uh, a podcast right now with your wife, like brand new. It's it's 2022, and um, you know you obviously expect to be able to launch this podcast podcasts and compete on a bigger scale. So to the people who are thinking about launching a podcast or they're in the early days, what works now for launching? Like what what would you say they should focus on to be able to get that edge over the the others out there? A lot of the principles remain the same. Um, niche down, you know, that that's one thing I think a lot of people get wrong is they uh they join a crowded market because most people start podcasting because they get inspired by a podcast that they like. And so they start a podcast. that's basically a copycat of that podcast. And it's like, well, you're just a worse version of that show. Why would anybody listen to that show? You know what I mean? So you have to find something that makes you a little bit unique, something that makes you different. Um, uh, niching down is, is potentially one of the more important things. Um, the second thing is you gotta, you gotta focus on your goal. What's your goal? Why, why are you podcasting to begin with? People can drive themselves crazy because they think the only possible goal of having a podcast is getting a ton of downloads. And so when they don't reach that metric, they view it as a failure. And that's not the only reason to have a podcast. There's a dozen other reasons to have a podcast. Do you want to build great relationships? You know, do you want to have a, a lead generation source for your business? Do you want to do business development? Um, you know, is this, uh, is this something that just makes you have, good conversations and learn things and is, is, is acquisition of knowledge, a metric that matters to you. There's so many other reasons why you should have your show. So you really need to nail down. Why do I want to do this to begin with? So you don't drive yourself crazy with a metric that's not even important to you. And then secondly, um, niche down. What are you going to talk about? That's different than everybody else. Like I, I love the, the term blue ocean, even more so than just niching. Uh, because niching, uh, implies that you have to get really crazy with it. All you got to do is find the blue ocean, find the thing that nobody's really talking about and or doing a good job talking about, um, or find a popular topic that people enjoy that you think is doing it incorrectly and fill in the gaps. You know, you have to find the blue ocean. You have to find where, uh, where the sharks aren't feeding on the prey, right? You have to find where, like what happens is you have a John Lee Dumas who takes the first bite of the kill and the, the ocean starts to get a little bit red. And then the sharks from everywhere around smell that blood. They all swim to the same position. They start chomping away. And then all of that ocean is red around it. And then people start to enter that and wonder why there's no meat left on the bone. You know what I mean? You got to go find, you got to go find your own blue ocean. Um, so that's the, the second thing. The third thing is I would say a, a proper launch strategy um, that helps you build around uh, the existing audience that you may or may not already have. For if you're starting completely from scratch, like I was a few years ago, um, this literally just means friends, family, anybody that you could possibly contact that will leave a rating and review uh, for your show and subscribe, listen to an episode within the first seven days of launching. Anybody that you think likes you enough to ask for that from them, ask that from them. It's not much. Like you're asking for 10, 15 minutes of their time. Listen to a couple of minutes, leave me a rating, review, subscribe. That's it. I'm not asking you for money. It's literally going to take you less than 10 minutes, less than five minutes for most people to do this. Please just do that. Build out a proper launch team. And then the day you launch, send it out to everybody and be like, hey, thanks for agreeing to do this. We'd love to hear from you um, on what you think about the show. Um, and then use that as, as, a, as a good launching pad. From there, it's your responsibility to get booked on as many podcasts as you possibly can get booked on. Number one, because it helps you communicate your story better. Uh, like if you've listened to my story up to this point, you could probably tell this is not the first time that I've jumped on a podcast and shared my story. You know what I mean? Like, but the first time that I did do it, you could tell it was my first time because I had no idea what I was saying. Um, so get some more experience, go get booked on a bunch of podcasts. Um, not only will it help you with your communication ability, not only will it help you with your storytelling, but it will bring more traffic to your show because the best way to reach podcast listeners is through getting them while they're listening to a podcast. So go get booked on a bunch of podcasts and then focus on your content. Make your content as good as you can. That's why we built Guestio. That's why I, I, I believe that when you're, especially if you're first starting out, the best way to provide the best content is to talk to the best people and ask them good questions. That's it. 
I, I think I think that's amazing, and 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 you've you've touched upon the um, the discovery bit as well, because like the, the the first part, step one and step two of what you said, then is 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 amazing, and and, and there's certain algorithms that will, that will pick you up and recognise that you're like up and coming and, and exciting and new, but there's still that ongoing discovery piece, yep. um, because podcasts are a search engine. I mean, people are using like the podcasting platforms to search for topics that they're interested in about and, and things like that, but. But that's not necessarily a, a longer term strategy. But like podcasts, people who listen to podcasts are a type of person. And um, those type of people, you know, are listening to podcasts. So like, you know, yep. get on the podcast. I mean, it makes yep. a lot of sense. And you, so cannot, you cannot rely on the search engines if you're a podcaster. It may, you might be able to if you're a YouTuber. I'm not a YouTuber, so I don't really know. Like we put stuff out on YouTube, but I would not call myself a YouTuber. I'm not familiar with like how the whole platform works or anything like that. But I do know that it's the second largest search engine in the world and it's built for search. That's what YouTube is. It's basically Google, but for video, right? It's literally replaced Google video when Google bought YouTube. So um, with podcasting, the search engine sucks. You cannot rely on search and discoverability on podcasting platforms. It's not a, if you build it, they will come situation. Okay. It's if you build it and then market the shit out of it, maybe they'll come, you know what I mean? So you, you got it. You got to be shameless and promote, promote the hell out of what you're doing. If you believe in the topic, if you believe in the, the stuff you're talking about, it shouldn't be that difficult to go tell people that they should listen to it. Leave a five-star rating review, ask for some feedback, ask for some advice. Um, but, but you got it. You got to be the one promoting it. And so in 2022, where we are now, where are the good places to go out and promote other than on other people's shows? Where else do you suggest people can market? Say they've got a budget, where can they, they market? Or if they've got time, where, how can they use that time in both cases to get more listeners? Yeah, so this is how I tell people. Number one, um, it, I'm going to go back to it just to mention it because I'm going to list these out in order of importance the way that I see it. Number one is guesting on other shows. Um, just frankly, because if no, so perfect example, Martin, if your audience knows, likes, and trusts you, but they've never heard of Travis Chapel before this interview, if by the end of this interview, they're still listening and they like me and then they go check out my show, they're so much more likely to stick around for a long time because they've had enough time now to decide whether or not they like me. If they don't like me, they're never gonna go check out what I have to offer. If they do like me, they are gonna go check out what I have to offer because they've listened to me for so long. You know what I mean? It's different than a 30 second ad. A 30 second ad gets somebody to check you out, but then they might leave if they don't like you. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's why I say like podcast guesting, number one, because it's not gonna bring you a windfall of traffic. It's not gonna be the thing that gets you millions of downloads, but the thing that you need to grow is a small community of people who know, like, trust you and 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 want to stick around with, with what you have to say and share what your content is. You got to find that like initial core audience of people. And the best way to do that is to get booked on other shows. So number one is guesting. Number two is buying ad spots on other people's shows. So same thing we're doing now, but instead of me guesting for 45 minutes, I say, hey, Martin, let me get a one minute um ad spot in the middle of your show where you say something about if you like to hear about networking strategies and you want to learn from the best when it comes to building relationships with people in your industry go check out build your network with travis chapel boom i pay you for a 30 second to 60 second mid-roll pre-roll ad read on your show again podcast listeners listen to podcasts so reach them on podcasts don't make the work more difficult than it is number three um, is I would be focusing on trying to create partnerships with other platforms that are big in the podcasting industry, paying attention to, to, to platforms uh, like TikTok is starting to, to think about podcasts. They're sending out like private surveys to certain users who have podcasts to ask them about how they can make their platform more conducive to podcasters. Um, Facebook has their own podcast uh, playing listening features now. Um, Spotify, as of October or November of 2021, became the number one application for podcast listening on the planet. They surpassed Apple Podcasts. Um, and so pay attention to some of these platforms, see how, you know, if they're rolling out new features, if they're rolling out um, a new ad feature, always be the one to, to, to take, you know, first movers advantage on that. Um, and then lastly, very bottom of the list is uh, social media ads, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Google. You can just, you can blow through a lot of money on those if you're not careful about how you do it. So I, I would really only recommend it if you have a decent budget, you know what you're doing to some extent, and you have something else to offer that helps you recoup some of that ad spend. Because if you're just focusing on like podcast advertising to recoup that ad spend, 
you got to be willing to say goodbye to that money for like 10, 12 months. It's not going to come back immediately. Uh, so, you know, this would mean like if you have an offer or something that you can promote to your audience and your podcast messaging is similar to the offer that you have on the back end, then sure, start spending some, some money on social media, market it as a training. I have a 30 minute training about how to, I don't know, build your network or whatever. Um, you know, let me send it to you and then send them to a landing page, just like you normally would get their, get their name, email, phone number, and then text them and email them the training, which the training is just an episode of your podcast, send that to them, have them listen to it. But at least at that point, you can retarget them with your, your pixel. And, uh, and then you have their, their data, you have their, their name, email, phone number, so you can market to them and try to, you know, recoup ad spend on some sort of a backend offer or something like that. Um, but in terms of just growing the podcast audience, if you're only going to like send a Facebook ad directly to an Apple podcast page, you're making a ton of assumptions. Like you're assuming number one, that they even listen to podcasts, right? Like that, that's, which is a big assumption. There's like 2 billion users on Facebook. There's only like 350 million total podcast listeners. That's almost a 10th of the size of the audience that you could be reaching on Facebook. Obviously you can select certain interests and stuff, but you never really know if they listen to podcasts. So that's a gamble. The second thing is you're assuming that they're on, they're on iPhone. You know what I mean? That you're sending them to, you have to, you know, select some sort of targeting to make sure you're only targeting iPhone users um, to go to your Apple podcast link. You know what I mean? You could send them to your Linktree account, but I'm just saying like, it's going to take a lot of testing. It's going to take a lot of budget and it's probably not going to, um, uh, translate to a, a, a big audience, unless you, unless you, like I said, you, you, you can, you can back out of those numbers in 10, 12, 14 months, you know, Reed Hoffman spent, I don't know how much money, but he was all over the place when he launched masters of scale, but he had a little bit of cash from selling LinkedIn for a billion dollars. So I think that he was okay to go in for, a bit, um, uh, for him to, to spend that money on, on advertising. But those would be the, those would be the, the four things that I'll be focusing on. Amazing. And of course, Guestio. So, um, so the audience is uh, is listening today, and they and they've got something in common. They they want to have a a scalable, should we say, a scalable way to connect with the the kind of uh, influential, successful, uh, interesting people that they want to connect with, and they've landed on Guestio.com. What are they going to do next, and why would they do it? Yeah. So create your account. Your account's going to basically have all the information on uh, your show. If we're talking specifically about a show booking a guest, um, then create an account um, and then browse through the marketplace. It's as simple as like looking, uh, going to the search feature, searching real estate, and then looking at all the people who match that and then going, look, clicking into their profile, seeing like reading, you can, you can read about their bio. You can look at their social links. You can see past podcast appearances, past YouTube channel appearances, uh, media features and links. Uh, all about that person, read about that person. If you want to book them on your show, then you can do one of two things from there. You can pitch them. Uh, pro users pitch for free. Uh, free users will pitch uh, with whatever that person set up. So some people will have, will say, Hey, it's free to pitch me. I don't care. But other people will say, Hey, it's five bucks to pitch me because they get a bunch of pitches. And uh, this just puts a little bit of a, of a paywall between them and a flooded inbox essentially. Um, so you can pitch them or you can book them directly. Typically the pitch is going to be, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks. The booking might be more like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, 500 bucks. Um, and, uh, and then you book them directly right there. Um, and then you can message them inside of the app and schedule inside of the app, keep track of your calendar and your upcoming interviews inside of the app. Um, and, uh, and then, and then if you're wanting to get booked on shows, you can do the same thing for the opposite side of the marketplace. Just go to the show side. There's a little toggle on the marketplace. It says guests. One of them says platforms, go to the platform toggle, search through business, whatever, and uh, find all the business shows that you want to be a guest on. And same thing, you can pitch them directly or book them directly um, uh, all inside of the marketplace. Beautiful. Absolutely amazing. So guestio.com folks, go check that out. It's going to be your not so secret, dirty little secret in, in getting ahead and getting successful um, with the platform that you have. And, and, and the reason I'm saying that, because it's not just for podcasting, right? There's, there's other situations in which people would get benefit from Guestio. Sure. So you can book. So like if, if you go to my profile on Guestio, you can book me as a podcast guest. You can book me for a live Q and a, if you have like a mastermind or you're doing a clubhouse room or, or Instagram live or something, you can book me to speak at your virtual event. Um, you can book me for your blog or publication with like written questions, 
Um, there's multiple things. You can book me for an endorsement. You can, you can just say, Hey, I want you to record a 30 second endorsement for my podcast. You can book me for an endorsement. You like it's, it's like a more functional B2B style version of cameo essentially for the talent side. Uh, so there's multiple things that you can do, um, once you get over to, to, to the site. Beautiful. I know a number of the stakeholders uh, behind Guessio and and there's a reason you've got these platforms. It's it's made by people that actually have done this stuff to a high degree and have played the game for many years the hard way. And uh, wow, this is this is going to be a game changer. So Guessio.com, folks, um, I have not been paid to, to um, talk about that either, by the way. It's just something that's actually really cool. Made by some friends of mine. So, um, Travis, at this point in the show, we like to mix it up. We go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can choose the speed in which you want to reply. Are you up for that? Yeah, let's do it, man. Are you two thumbs up? Up for that. Let's see them. Never had a guest without two thumbs so far, but those thumbs are up. Travis, question one, if you ever had to start again, how would you make your money? Hmm. Uh, dinner seminars. Hmm. Dinner seminars. It's like door to door, but selling one to many. And I think I would have, I think I would have made a lot of money doing that. Beautiful. And tried some delicious food or at least look to other people eating delicious food. Exactly. <laughs> What's the most common or biggest mistake leaders make? Uh, telling people what to do instead of showing them what to do. Nice. Who is a great leader, whether alive or dead, and why? Um, I mean, there's so many examples, but I, the one that pops up to my head immediately is Jocko Willink. Uh, just everything he puts out on leadership is something that I that I really like. He doesn't he doesn't just doesn't have a lot of fluff, you know. He's not he's not like a kind of traditional leadership thought leader. He's just very, very practical. And it comes from a lot of experience. A lot of people who talk about leadership are more like, and not to talk trash about them, you know, I'm sure they have great stuff too, but they're more like the PhDs in leadership that like took a lot of courses on leadership. Whereas like Jocko, you know, did 20 years overseas, like leading SEAL teams in combat and has very practical application of what uh, good leadership can provide and what bad leadership can cost. So I really like, I really like Jocko's stuff. Nice. How do you evaluate a good business deal? Someone asked me, someone asked me this the other day and um, I really thought, try to think about the process. Most of the time it has to do with mentors. I, I maybe, maybe the older I get, you know, I'm 29 right now, maybe the older I get, I'll trust more of my instincts. But for now I go to a bunch of people that I trust and ask them about it. Nice. So does that mean a business deals are less of a snap decision for you? It's more of a, like, I'll get back to you. I'm yes. going to, you know, let this simmer. And, and, a, and what yeah. you're doing is having conversations. Always a let me sleep on it and talk to a few people. Nice. I like that. How do you identify a good business partner? This is a tough one for me, man. I, I don't have a lot of business partners. Um, uh, it's tough because... I, I, I know how hard marriage is, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been married since I was 21. I think we have a good relationship, but it's not because it happened on accidents because we work really hard at it. And I think a business partnership is very, very, very similar to that. You're essentially married to somebody for the duration of the time that you're building a business together. So you cannot do it willy nilly. You can't just pick somebody and be like, we should do business together. It's like, no, no, no. You, you better know strengths and, and weaknesses and you better have a very, very clear and written understanding of what each party is going to contribute um, from from the partnership. So um, I may not be the best person to ask about that one, but I, I do have one I do have one business partner in one of my businesses. Um, and uh, that one was just because we had aligned interests. Uh, we were both in a mastermind together. So I had assumed that his quality was to a certain standard. I asked the organizers of the mastermind, they gave me the green light. Um, and uh, frankly, he offered something in the business that I just couldn't refuse. Um, it was too good of a deal for me to say no to the, the partnership opportunity where I knew that the potential downside was um, not as bad as the potential upside could be in terms of a reward. So um, that one was, that one was kind of an easy one. Nice. Other than crushing the drone, what is one of your proudest moments? <laughs> uh, this is going to be a cop-out answer, uh, but my kids uh, having both my kids uh, has been just a crazy, crazy ride, man. Super, super great. Any parent out there listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a, 
you know, one of the most, it's like, it's like marriage, you know, it's one of those most difficult things that you'll do, but also one of the most rewarding things that you'll do. So I have to say that one. See, my second one's on the way in two weeks. You just said it's a cop-out answer. So uh, Travis, it does say proudest moment. So which one of your kids are you more proud of? <laughs> oh man, uh, I can't, I can't. Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know? Um, I, uh, for an entire summer, I traveled across the country and sang in a men's quartet which uh um I, I don't know what the the term is but were you a low singer or a high singer or oh yeah yeah so yeah so there's bass baritone lead and uh tenor i was the baritone so like one up from bass you sound like pretty pretty down there right now so yeah it's, yeah it's, that's that's my range <laughs> it's like if um, boring Hershey's i was the most voices, boring part right. the most boring part in the quartet but the one that kind of holds it together you know yeah definitely what daily routines do you have, whether morning or evening, that have helped make you more successful? You know, uh, ask me again in six months, but I recently um, put into effect a nightly routine, which has really been changing things up for me. I've always been kind of focused on mornings, um, but recently I've been really focused on like, what's the highest leverage point for my habit production? Um, and what trigger, like, you know, what, what's the one habit that I can install that triggers a lot of other good habits essentially mm. is what I mean by that. And so for me, that's a nightly routine now, um, which is nightly journaling where I take an account of how that day went in the core aspects of things that are important to me in my life, right? Health, wealth, relationships, and productivity. I give myself a rating in each of those things based on the things that I accomplished during the day, average them all together. I have like a daily score that I keep track of. And I write out the things that I have coming up the next day so that, um, so that I'm not fumbling into my schedule the, the next day. I'm, I have a purpose and intention when I wake up and, and uh, know exactly what I'm doing. And that's been extremely helpful. I love that. Uh, I do something similar once a week um, with my wife on date night. We do this scorecard check-in where we've got the seven categories and we do the same. It's like a, an average out of five across them. And we sort of discuss because some of them are actually like, you know, like engaged father is one of mine, right? Like, so it's like, hey, wife, how, how have I done this week? You know, so sure. that sort of stuff. So, um, uh, but yeah, doing it, doing it daily. That's, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's once habit, a week, man. I just kind of average them out and I take the weekly average, you know, and then you can kind of keep mm -hmm. track of the score over time and see, you know, how it, it's, I learned this by the way, from Rob Deerdeck, um, who okay. is a surprisingly just awesome, awesome productivity entrepreneur, um, to talk to. Um, but you take quantitative and qualitative data and it informs what it looks like over time. So, you know, four, four of the five things that I write out every night are quantitative. One of them is qualitative. The qualitative one is just like, how did I feel about how I perform in all these areas? Not, so the other ones are like, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? Right. Very, it's black and white. Yes or no. With the qualitative one, it's more like, how did I feel about accomplishing those things? Did I feel like it was a good day? Did I feel overall happy? Was my mood good? What, you know, is there anything I could have done? Because then what happens is you can look over time and be like, hey, it seemed like I had like lower feelings of happiness when I was not doing these certain habits or when I was doing these certain things. And let's try to subtract that. Let's add there. You know what I mean? You can tweak it and perfect it over time. I like that. Is it? Do you just use a piece of paper, like just some standard notebook or have you got um, a specialist one that's got the kind of sections already? Yeah, currently I just use a, a, a regular journal, um, the best, best self planner or something. But, um, I told, I told my wife the other day, I was like, we need to have, um, we, we need to like put this into ClickUp somehow and like turn it into some sort of a software automation that keeps track of it mm -hmm. for me so that I don't have to like come in here and like write it all out and do the averages and use my calculator and stuff like that. If I could just put it in a spreadsheet or a, a ClickUp dashboard or something like that, that'd be super helpful. So that's what we're looking to develop. And we're probably going to give it away, you know, after working through it for three to six months, just give it to other people who, who, you know, might want to use it. Nice. I'll send you a link. Actually, I created one on Notion. Uh, I'll send oh, you a great. link. You can check it out. It's got got something similar. Um, and we've got it shared, and you can access it from your devices. And great. geeky, geeky, geeky. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it worked well, right? <laughs> um, what book or books changed your mindset or life? I know you listen. I know you're a listener more than a um, a reader. You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. Um, I, I do try to also read and listen. Um, there, there's the, the one that I go back to because it was just at the very beginning of my 
kind of journey, like one of the first ever books that I really remember completing was uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. Um, I, need, I needed a lot of help at the time with my money mindset, with the way that I grew up. And so that was a really, really great kind of transformative book uh, that I read. Uh, recently, I went through Alex Hermosi's uh, $100 million offers, and that was just brilliant. Yeah, I've got, I've got a copy just down here um, by my by my feet. It's uh, and, and a whiteboard full of of the you know the high ticket idea. It's just just to the right here. Yeah, um, yeah. That that guy is um, he's baller, and his and his look changes every time you see him on Instagram. He looks different. <laughs> nice. Uh, what's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? Hmm. Uh, it has to do with what we're talking about on the new podcast with my wife. Figuring it out. It's. Um, more about life philosophy like why why are we here you know what i mean what what do we exist for you know what's what's the number one variable we need to solve for in life in order to live a good one you know what i mean like those are some of the questions that consume consume my mind when it's not business most of the time it's business but something that doesn't apply to business would be that Beautiful. I'm sure you've already thought of this, but I'd love to. Um, I'm always fascinated because because there is such a particularly with entrepreneurs. Um, there's such a um, it, there's a link right between between sort of happy marriage, happy business, and 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 that balance and and sort of you know whichever one in the partner is is an entrepreneur, like whether it's the husband or the wife, the other one has to have this sort of enhanced understanding ahead of just standard marital of like the highs and lows and bipolar nature of entrepreneurship and the roller coaster For ride sure. and um and and then separating that that out like from um i've had many a discussion and definitely been there myself where like you as the entrepreneur you're the pilot of the plane right and and you're and you're you're sort of speaking to your wife about something you're worried about and but but she's on that plane right and so it's like a pilot going hey folks this is your captain john here just to <laughs> let you know i'm a little bit worried about the landing coming up later on <laughs> you're sort of thing, you know like, oh, we're all gonna die and like trying to figure out that conversation right with your loved ones so that you can sort of make make it constructive you don't just end up going thanks i got that off my chest and they're like terrified like fuck i'm gonna you, you know, know there's, so a, I, there's I, a book um i have not gone through it yet full disclosure my wife did though and she recommended it to me and said it was really great um i the name of the book's slipping my mind right now but it's from ben horowitz's wife um okay. and so it's about how to be married to an entrepreneur essentially um and uh I, again the, the name of the book's in my mind but uh if you look look that up it's ben ben horowitz it's from his wife and yeah really i i have not gone through it yet but she said it was really great to help her understand my perspective nice what unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out unusual underrated food or drink ceviche Ceviche is my go-to, man. As, uh, any anytime, anywhere good offers ceviche, I'm getting it. Nice, I like that. And a final question: What makes you happiest? You know, output, meaning, productivity, um, which could mean a variety of things. You know, uh, spending time with my family definitely increases my happiness meter. Uh, but then if I only do that and I neglect the things that I have to get done in work and career, then I notice my happiness starts to dip a little bit. And maybe that will fix once I've, you know, kind of achieved more of the things that I really want to achieve. But um, I just I just don't believe you can live a happy life without being a productive, contributing member of society. Um, and uh, I think that that has a lot to do with it. Amazing. Fantastic answer to a fantastic question round to a fantastic podcast. Travis, it's been an absolute pleasure today um, learning where you've come from, the way you're looking at things, the, um, the, the, the mindset you have going into relationships and nurturing those relationships in a, uh, frankly, not being a dick way, in a, in a very organic, nice, natural and productive way. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, hearing your story on this show. And before we wrap up, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? Yeah, if you are a platform host, you know, podcaster, YouTuber, virtual event host, um, or an expert guest that wants to get interviewed or booked on any of those platforms, then 
please go check out Guestio. That is definitely forefront of my mind. Big project we've been spending a lot of time and energy on perfecting and uh, delivering to the end user, which is you guys. So uh, we'd love to hear some feedback. Um, love for you guys to go check that out over at guestio.com. And for anybody that's listening that is like, hey, that sounds awesome, but I don't want to do all that work, even if the software makes it easy. Uh, great. We have a concierge service that does it all for you. So um, you can reach out, uh, reach out to the team, uh, team at guestio.com if you have any questions about concierge services. Put concierge in the subject line and you know, we'll reply back. We do both guest booking concierge and show booking concierge. So fantastic. Check it out, folks. And in the meantime, Travis, thanks again. Thanks so much for being on the show, giving the good stuff. It's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute blast, my friend. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. But for now, appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot, Martin. This is a lot of fun. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.